0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we're finishing up a series we started a few weeks ago called Things Jesus Never Said. And if you couldn't tell from the title, what we're talking about are are the things that Jesus never said that largely get attributed to him, Uh, things that that we think are true that really aren't true. And uh, we Labor Day weekend was fantastic. Our team did a great job communicating five different things that Jesus never said. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about the thing that Jesus never said was live your truth. Then we talked about what objective truth is. Um, And the, the truth is so much more than the subjective truth that we live in today where everybody has their own truth that really there is one truth, and that's the truth of who Jesus is, and that's where we anchor ourselves, and that's what we base our lives on. Last week, we talked about the thing Jesus never said was, God will never give you more than you can handle, and we talked about suffering, and we talked about what it means to go through difficult things, and the fact that, that, that God will allow us to go through things that are beyond what we can handle, but his grace is always bigger than than our situation is. His grace is sufficient for us. So instead of praying prayers about God, help me escape my pain, maybe we need to be praying God, help me to see your grace more acutely in my life and more clearly in my life. Uh, And this week we're gonna talk about another thing Jesus never said, and that is, God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy? Now maybe you've never said that, But I have a feeling that you've probably thought that about yourself. God just wants me to be happy. Um, The problem is, I've heard preachers say this that God just wants you to be happy. And I'm like, oh, that's some bad theology. Oh, that is not really who God is. He just wants us to be happy Uh, because it's just not true. And so let me just start by saying this in the Bible, We see, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, we see the words for happiness and joy, and many times these words are interchangeable in the biblical context. Happiness and joy have the same kind of biblical definition. Um, But in our context today, joy and happiness are defined differently, and we look at them differently. And so I I want us to understand that. Uh, For our context, happiness is a feeling derived from people, things, or experiences, Um, I'll give you an example you get a raise at work you're happy you get fired from your job you're sad those are feelings I'm happy or unhappy happy things happen to you and you are happy unhappy things happen to you and you are unhappy it's very simple and this is universal this is a human experience we are emotional people and we have feelings and this is important so so Happiness is a feeling. Joy is deeper seated than feelings. Joy is, uh, it runs deeper than just what I feel. Joy, and, and for my definition, for what we're gonna be talking about today, joy is, um, it's derived from the faith I have in who God is and what he's done. Joy is not dependent on the circumstances of my life, Joy is not dependent on uh, if I got a raise or if I got fired. Because joy is a state of being, it's not a feeling. So what that means is it's who we are, it is not what happens to us. So a person can be joyful and experience bad things and they're going to be unhappy. They might be sad, but they still have joy because they're anchored in that. That is ultimately who they are. Uh, have you ever seen somebody, maybe they got some really bad news, maybe they were fired, maybe they got a bad diagnosis from the doctor and you're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And they're like, yep, I'm gonna be okay. Like, you seem to be handling this, what's going on? Uh, they might not be able to identify it, but there's an excellent chance they're a person that, that has joy. That the, the joy is their North Star, that this is who I am, this is not about how I feel, it's not about what's going on around me, that I can experience joy in spite of unhappiness. So joy is a state of being. So, so I want you to catch this, I want you to hear this, because we'll come back to this idea. Joy can produce happiness, but happiness cannot produce joy. Having a state of joy, being in a state of joy, this is who I am, can produce happiness in my life because I can reflect on the goodness of God. I can reflect on the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the beauty of God. And in spite of my circumstances, that can elicit happiness in my life. But no matter how much happiness I chase and even capture, it cannot produce real joy. It cannot change my state of being. These two things are different. There's a book. Um, C- some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis was an author. He did not just write Chronicles of Narnia, by the way. He wrote some other books as well as that. Uh, but he was a Christian author and philosopher, and he wrote a book that's really interesting. And sometimes it's hard to, to trudge through some of the language. But it's called uh, the Screw Tape Letters, and. In this book, it's a fictional story of this this senior demon in hell. His name is Screwtape. And Screwtape writes to his his nephew, who's also his protege, who's also a demon, by the way. His name is Wormwood. And he writes to Wormwood, and the the Screwtape letters are a series of letters written from, from Screwtape to Wormwood just instructing him on how demons should best betray and... Um, undermine God and humanity? How do we lead people astray? And so there is some humor in this, but, um, but it is eye-opening. It really is amazing how much truth there is in what we can read here. I wanna read just a little portion of one of those letters to you. Remember, this is written from the perspective of a demon to his protege, and this is what he says. He says, I know we have won many, many a soul through pleasure, All the same, it is his invention, not ours. So what he says is, it's his invention. It's God's invention, not ours. So what he says is, God invented pleasure, we did not. Listen to what it says next. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced, God has produced, at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. So so let me just help you getting the understanding on why this language is dense at times. He says, we did not create pleasure. Hell did not create pleasure. It was invented in heaven by God. He says, God invented pleasure. So we can't invent pleasure and what we can do is pervert pleasure. What we can do is take pleasure and encourage people to, uh, to encounter that pleasure or that happiness in ways, times, or contexts that are contrary to what God has set up. And in doing so, it pulls us away from God because he says, we, we want them to forget that this pleasure is from God. And as, it, as we do, it pulls us away from God. So this is virtually any pleasure in our life. We can experience, God has created pleasure for us. He's created things for us to experience and for us to have. But the problem is we experience these pleasures in the wrong context and it pulls us away from God. We, we stop recognizing that God is the author of these good things. So listen to what he says as he finishes this passage. And he says this, An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-decreasing pleasure. This just defined drug addiction. There are many drugs that you can ingest um, that the first time you you consume these drugs, you can be addicted. And, And part of it is because the high is so high that your body immediately says, I need more of whatever that is. And the problem is, it's this statement exactly, there's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Every time you, you consume this drug, you'll never get the same high you did the first time. And as a result, you are chasing that feeling. I need that feeling back. And so you consume more and more and more. And this is where a lot of drug overdoses happen because people aren't gauging what they can consume and they overconsume because they are pursuing the feeling. This is what happens with pornography. People consume and th- there's an ever decreasing pleasure from an ever increasing craving. And so what they are consuming becomes more and more depraved over time. Before you know it, they're con- consuming things that are shameful that are so far away from the norm. And they wonder how they got there. Well, it's because they're chasing a feeling. This happens in our lives. It can happen with anything that we overconsume, whether it's food, whether it's things that were good, like sex in the context of marriage. But outside the context of marriage, it takes us away from God. It takes our eyes off of our creator. And we forget why this was originally created in the first place. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. He says this, wisest man that ever lived. He said, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He said, God has planted eternity in the human heart. I love this imagery. I love how beautiful this is that that within our hearts, God has created and, and planted eternity in us. But, but we are finite, we are not infinite. And because we're finite, we can't handle the whole universe. But there's still this craving and this longing in us for something infinite. And now the problem comes in when we try to, to satisfy or satiate eternal and infinite longings with things that are definitely temporary and things that are definitely finite. And we do this all the time. Constantly, we run from thing to thing because we're looking for happiness. We're chasing happiness, just like the drug addict who's looking for the next opportunity to be happy. If I just had this, I'd be happy. In fact, if, if I asked you, you could probably tell me, if I had this, I'd be happy. But many of us do the same thing. We say, if I only had blank, then I'd be happy. If I only had more money, if I only had that job, if I only had that spouse, if I only had that, the attention of that guy, if I only had, then I'd be happy. What are we saying? We're saying what I really need in my life is just some more happiness. And we're chasing that. And what we don't realize is, We have adopted a theology that says that God wants me to be happy. That's all he really wants is for me to be happy. And this is why we think more achievements will satisfy us, more sex will satisfy us, more money will satisfy us, more stuff will satisfy us. That'll bring happiness, that'll bring joy, that'll give me what I really want. But here's the problem. We are made with infinite desires and the infinite exists at a different plane. Heaven exists in a different reality than Earth does. But, but what we've done is we have lowered our eyes from the plane of the infinite to the plane of planet Earth. And we have these infinite desires and we start plugging these things in and going, well, this will make me happy and this will make me happy. Well, if I just have this, then. And none of it works. And we wonder what the problem is. It doesn't matter what it is. We th- I talk to people all the time that think, man, if I marry the right person, then everything will be perfect. I, I, the perfect person will make me happy. And I, love, I love my wife. My wife is fantastic. She's a gift. Um, and by the way, today is our 23rd wedding anniversary. And so I wanna honor her. She's been married to me for 23 years. Ooh. It's like like 400 in dog years or something. I don't even know. But But here's the thing. Our marriage has not been perfect. We've had challenges along the way. We've had bumps in the road. But here's the thing. Um, I think one of the things that's helped us have a good marriage is neither one of us, we have the right expectations for each other. I don't expect Kim to deliver happiness and joy to my door. It's not her responsibility to make me happy or produce joy in my life. Now, she does make me happy, but that's not her job. I don't place that responsibility on her, and she would do the same to me. She doesn't put the responsibility of her happiness on me. What we've done is we've said, God, we're we're gonna put the responsibility of our, our joy on you, and as we pursue you, we're gonna find each other. We're gonna grow closer and closer together, and we're gonna find happiness in each other, but it is not her primary responsibility to make me happy. It's not my primary responsibility to make her happy. It's God's responsibility. In our pursuit of God, we find a lot of happiness and a lot of joy together. The problem is a lot of us don't go into marriage like that. A lot of us go into marriage thinking, all right, I'm going to find everything I need because I've got the perfect person. And I want you to hear this. Hallmark is lying to you. I, <laughs> I, I, I just had an idea for a series called Hallmark is Lying to You. <laughs> I need to put that in my notes. Coming in 2023. <sighs> your spouse will never do it. There's not a person alive that can make you happy, no matter how good they are, how much they love Jesus. They can't because they're still temporary. They're still on the plane of the temporal. Your job, your achievement, your kids. All these good things were never intended to produce joy in your life. And the problem is this this idea that God just wants me to be happy feels right, doesn't it? I mean, it makes a lot of sense because I talk to people in my office. We'll have conversations and they'll tell me about things they're doing and things they're going through and they'll say, but God just wants me to be happy, right? That's why I can justify cheating on my spouse. That's why I can justify uh, this ungodly behavior because I know it's contrary to the word of God, but God just wants me to be happy. So so let's trace how this makes sense. Um, God made you. God made you. God made me. He made us. And he made us with a capacity for happiness, to enjoy good things in our lives. He made us with that capacity. He created us. He also made us with natural desires and natural passions and natural bents toward one direction or the other and things we're good at, things we love. And God is good, isn't He? So, would a good God create us with desires and passions and um, natural inclinations that He would not want us to fulfill? Doesn't it make sense that a good God would want me to be happy? And the answer is yes, it does make sense that a good God would want me to be happy when we follow this line of thinking. It makes total sense. Even in the Garden of Eden, go back to the Garden of Eden, we won't read the text, but in the Garden, Satan comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, listen, God created you with a capacity for godness is what he said, basically. He said, all you have to do is eat of this fruit and you will be like God. And the question is implied, why would God keep you from that? You've got the capacity for this, you've got the desire for this, why would God keep you from it? If he is a good God, he would let you take this fruit. I've even had people sit in my office, just so you know, not to scare you off, but one of the reasons membership is important here is because I believe the people that are members of our church are the people that I'm gonna be responsible for in heaven someday. When I face God and I have to stand accountable for how I managed Summit Church and how I led Summit Church and shepherded Summit Church, it's the members that I'm gonna be responsible for. And so we take, we take the lives of members seriously. We try to. And so when someone has gotten sideways and they start doing things that are uh, maybe contrary to the word of God, I don't come in to like, squash them, but I wanna have a conversation. Like what's going on in your heart that's caused you to make some of the decisions you've made? Can we just talk about this? Because this is what Matthew 18 says, by the way. You have a conversation with someone if there's something going on in their life. So I try to have a conversation with people. And we'll talk through these things together and I'll, I'll try to work with them. And sometimes it turns out really, really well and sometimes it doesn't. But one of the things... I I've hear people say is, God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. Well, it's okay, and I know what the Bible says, but doesn't God want me to be happy? I even had somebody one time say, well, the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. Like, ah, yeah, but you didn't read the whole passage, <laughs> right? This is how cults start. It's by taking one little passage and making that proof text. God just wants me to be happy because he said he'll give me the desires of my heart. And this is where we get it wrong because if God gives you the desires of your heart, I would have been married to Princess Leia in 1984. <laughs> it's like, oh, Princess Leia. That's not how this works. Can I read you this passage in the right context? And this is a psalmist Writing this, Psalm chapter 37, we'll start in verse three. He says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, we leave off the first part. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. What he's saying is um, the word here, the the actual definition is find exquisite delight. Find exquisite delight in the Lord is what it's saying. And when I think about the things that I find delight in in my life, and I go, this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to have that kind of affection, that kind of feeling, that kind of heart for God. And and here's what happens. Um, God does not give you the desires of your heart. God gives you the desires of his heart. He's not tricking you. But this is what happens. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and you will get the desires of your heart. We wanna sign up for that, because we're like, yeah, if I go to church, I'll get a speedboat, heck yeah. Nope, 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 That's not how it works. When it says delight yourself in the Lord, what it means is total surrender. It means us saying to God, God, you have my whole heart, you have my whole life, my, my affections are set on you. You are my primary affection, you're my primary devotion. And even at that point, that's not where God says, okay, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Here comes that speedboat. Here comes that car. Here comes that perfect marriage. Here comes that, right? That's where God goes, perfect. And then God starts going, boop, 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 boop. He starts nudging us. As we pursue God, as we press into him, he he nudges us, he pushes us, he draws us into alignment with him. So by, by the time we get to the place where we're saying, God, everything in my life is yours. I am yours. I'm I'm directed to you. I am surrendered to you. God goes, great. Now I can give you the desires of your heart because at that point, the desires of our heart are the desires of his heart. So when God says, yeah, I want to give you the desires of your heart, it is contingent on our hearts being in alignment with his heart. It's not about our happiness and getting what we want. That is not what this is about at all. It's about transforming us. We talk about grace in the context of of salvation, Um, but, but I want you to understand, God's grace is not just about saving us from hell. It's not just about salvation, it's about transformation. See, God's grace is what's working in our hearts to nudge us over, to pull us into alignment with him. And God's grace is so much bigger than now I don't have to go to hell because of God's grace. Because of God's grace, I get to go to heaven. No, that's insufficient. It's not enough. It's about so much more than that. So I wanna read a couple passages from John chapter 16. Uh, This is um, the end of Jesus's life. And we've spent some time here, I've realized over the last few months, Revisited some of these passages, but John chapter 16, uh, Jesus is finishing his earthly ministry before his crucifixion, and he's giving his, ins- his instructions to his disciples, trying to help prepare them for what's to come. And they still don't get it; they're still totally blind as to what's about to happen. But this is what he says: John 16:20. He says, "I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me." He's talking about his crucifixion and his burial. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. So he's saying you will grieve, but you will experience joy in the midst of this grief. He goes on to say, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. And I think this is an apt picture because what he is saying is um, the pain associated with childbirth uh, is worth the joy that's produced from it. So the joy that we experience from the baby being born is worth the labor. Now, some of you moms might be like, you have no idea and you are wrong, right? So I've never given birth to a child, as you may have surmised, um, but I've seen this happen, right? And so even with the um, the relief of an epidural or other pain-relieving actions you could take in the midst of childbirth. It's a terribly painful ordeal. It is hard on your body. Uh, It is a miracle. If men had to give birth to babies, the species would have died off thousands of years ago. (laughs) I'm convinced that men are not tough enough to do that, right? Um, so, So there's pain associated with childbirth. And what Jesus says is, hey, the joy is worth the pain. But we forget about how much pain there is. There's pain associated with childbirth. Even the child experiences some pain. Most children don't come out like smiling and laughing, like, hey, what's, hey, there you are, like, you know. Most children are screaming when they are born, right? They're able to breathe, they scream, they start crying. And children, I don't know if you've been around children. I've seen a few around here once in a while. Did you know sometimes kids are unhappy? Did you know that? Kids aren't happy all the time, probably because they want some candy or they want an iPad or they want they want something, right? So there tends to be a level of unhappiness in children from time to time. And a lot of children think, if I could just be a teenager, oh, those teenagers are so cool. If I could just be a teenager, my life would be better. Man, I'd have freedom when I'm a teenager, they're so cool. Did you know teenagers are unhappy sometimes? from time to time, (laughs) they are. Teenagers don't just travel from cloud to cloud, their lives perfect, and I acknowledge I would not wanna be a teenager in today's world. It is a different world than it was 40 years ago. So I get that, but a lot of teenagers think, man, my life, I have got pain, I've got issues, I'm unhappy. Do you know what would make me happy if I was an adult? Man, I can't wait to get out of this town. I can't wait to get out of this house. I'm ready to go. My life is going to be better. And then they run headlong into taxes and a mortgage and grown-up life. And then they're like, oh, this kind of stinks. You remember how good life was when I was a kid? Oh. I could sleep in college. I could skip class if I wanted to. Uh, Why? Because all of us deal with a level of unhappiness. All of us deal with a a level of dissatisfaction with our lives. Job said in Job 14.1, he said, anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. Doesn't that bless you? Ah, oh, if you're a human, you're not gonna live very long and it's gonna stink the whole time. Like that's what he says, basically. It's like, I don't see anybody with Job 14.1 written on their, tattooed on their arm, right? <laughs> Tell me about that verse. And they're like, oh, it says life stinks and then you die, it's awesome. You wanna come to church with me this Sunday? And they're like, no, I'm good, I'm good. But here's the thing. In spite of our shared unhappiness, there is great happiness to be found in this life. I haven't been able to talk through this part in any of our services without getting teary-eyed, which shocker. I, I think when I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about some of the things that make me happy. And I thought about my girls. I thought about when they were little. And they, they always danced, they were dancers. Abby, <laughs> Emma is in a formal setting, Abby is in an informal setting. So Abby and I, we can be walking down the grocery aisle at a grocery store and the music will be just right and we'll just stop and have a little dance session in the grocery store aisle. But I remember when they were little and we would dance and we would play and just be silly together and just how much fun that was, how much I enjoyed that. And even as they're older now, 20 and 17, uh, it's, it's, I was thinking the other day, um, we went out for Emma's birthday and we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And the other people sitting at our table, even my wife was like, "Mm, you might be mentally deranged. And we laughed so hard that I could hardly breathe. I was so happy in that moment. Um, you know, our wedding anniversary, and Kim and I are gonna go on a date tonight. And I love date nights with my wife that we uh, don't have like a a strict agenda. Like, okay, we gotta do this and this and this and this. And sometimes that's life, you gotta do it. But I I love the times where we can just take our time and enjoy being together and talk and just have a conversation and there's no rush. Like that makes me happy. A couple years ago, I try to be around my mom on my dad's birthday. And so a couple years ago, I went to Oklahoma, and um, (laughs) she and my sister and I, we went on a road trip, and uh, we went to southwestern Oklahoma to Medicine Park, Oklahoma. And yes, it's just as exotic and lovely as you would imagine it is. It is the garden spot of all of Oklahoma. People travel from hundreds of miles just to get to Medicine Park, Oklahoma. And uh, and it wasn't anything special as far as what we did. We went to a couple little shops in this town and bought a t-shirt at a coffee shop and went to lunch and went to a little nature reserve and we saw Buffalo and we just hung out together. It was a really good day. It was a happy day. I find happiness in things like um, turning a wrench on my Jeep. I enjoy that, That's, that makes me happy, it's fun. It is 21 years old, older than some of the people in this room, but it's fun, I enjoy it. And of course, there's peanut butter or Oreo swirl. <laughs> it makes me happy. Now here's the problem with our world. There are people in our world, maybe even people in this room, who have never experienced some of the things that I was just talking about. And I know it's different for everybody, but, but you've never experienced the things that I was just talking about. Maybe ever in your life. And maybe if you have experienced those things, you haven't experienced them enough. And, and maybe the pains have outnumbered the joys the pleasures, the, the happiness. And it starts to make us think maybe God is not a good God because unfortunately the life we live, people do get sick and people do die. We do mess up and sometimes we mess up so badly things cannot be fixed. We get hurt because people insult us or betray us. Sometimes people that have been friends forever change. Change we realize we can't be friends with them anymore because of the change in their lives, their attitude, their behavior, whatever it might be. Sometimes those friends are more than just friends, sometimes it's our spouse, sometimes it's our kids, sometimes it's a parent, sometimes it's a pastor. We lose jobs, we lose health, we lose relationships, we lose sleep, we go to doctors, we go to therapists, we go to life coaches, we go to church, All these things we go to, to ease the ache in our heart, to find happiness. See, so many times this hurt can lead us to a place where we start wondering if God is good. Is God good? Is God loving? God powerful because if God was powerful he would have the strength to keep this from happening if God was good he wouldn't let me feel this way he would let me go through this he wouldn't let me hurt the way I do if God really loved me he wouldn't allow this to happen and all this makes sense this is rational thinking if God's highest priority for us is our happiness See, if God's highest priority for us is happiness, he is failing. Because even believers aren't happy all the time. When the Apostle Paul came to faith in Jesus Christ, up to the point that he met Jesus, he he was persecuting Christians. Literally, the day he had an encounter with Jesus, he was going to murder Christians for their faith. He has this incredible interaction with God. You can read about it in Acts chapter nine. But he has this incredible interaction with God and he had been busy persecuting believers and God speaks miraculously to a believer. And he says, hey, I'm gonna send Saul of Tarsus to come to you and you are going to minister to him and you're gonna disciple him. And he's like, you mean the guy who's murdering people like me? And he's like, yeah, that's the one. You know who he is? He's like, uh, yeah, I do know who he is. So God speaks to Saul at that time. Saul of Tarsus says, go to Ananias. And he speaks, God speaks to Ananias. And listen to what he says about Paul. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He does not say, I'm gonna show him how happy it is to be a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna show him how much joy there is, how happy his life can be if he'll simply stop persecuting my people and become one of them. Paul was talking to the church, the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he describes some of his experiences to them. He says this, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. They they whipped him on the back with a whip 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys, I face dangers from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I face danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I face danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches." Do you know what he's saying? I'm not always happy about this. That's what he's telling the church. It's funny, because if you look at this in context, he's actually writing to the Corinthian church because they're starting to deviate. They're starting to question his teaching and follow another teacher to some degree. And you can, if you look at it in context, you can almost see him going, I've put up with this junk because of you people, right? I've done all this, and now the worst part is you. That's what he's saying almost. But he's not saying this is easy. He's saying, I've been really unhappy doing this. This is really hard. But you never hear that because there is joy associated with it. And that joy is because he knows why he's doing it. Let me come back to John chapter 16. Remember where we left off in verse 21? It was talking about the pain of childbirth that leads to joy. The joy of the child. And Jesus says this, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you'll rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. He's saying, you will have joy when you see me. When you are near me, you'll experience joy. And this is a clue. This is a hint. He's saying, you will still have some unhappiness in your life, but the joy you'll experience from being with me will be worth it. It's not gonna make everything perfect in your life, but you're gonna be with me and and there will be joy in my presence. And in verse 23, he says this. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I will tell you, He said, I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly and he will grant you a request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you'll receive and you will have abundant joy. So that's what he says. He says, pray in my name pray in my name this is why when we pray this is not like you know um you know at the end of a letter you say love mel or love you know whatever you sign it and like this is how we finish at the end of a prayer when we say in jesus name it's not like that we are literally praying in the authority of jesus and who he is um okay so at our church at summit um i'm I'm the boss um Vanessa Zuro, she's my assistant. She does a great job. And Vanessa will execute plans on my behalf. I'll ask her to do things and she will do them. And there are times when she interacts with staff that she's not interacting with them as Vanessa as Zuro. She's interacting with them in my name. So when she says to someone, hey, you need to, or hey, I need you to, she's not saying, would you do this for me? She's saying, in the authority of Mel Massingale, I would like you to do this. Does that make sense? And my authority, at least at Summit, carries a different level of authority than other people in our organization because I'm, I'm the boss. See, you've never prayed a prayer and at the end of the prayer you say, in Mel Massengale's name, amen. At least I hope not. If you have, we've got issues and we need to talk, right? Do you know why? Because I have no authority in the heavenly realm. At least not any more than you do. The authority we have is in the name of Jesus. So we pray in Jesus' name. And even Vanessa's authority in my name has its limitations because the limitations are based on what I would do, what my character is, and what I would allow. And what we've done with in Jesus' name, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. We have robbed it of its original meaning and we have said things like, again, this is in our pursuit of happiness, in my opinion. We've had good intentioned preachers who have said things like, well, you just pray it in Jesus' name and you're gonna have it. And if you don't have it, you just don't have enough faith. If you don't have it, maybe you got sin in your life that you need to get rid of. But but what we've done is we've led people to believe that that God is some sort of cosmic vending machine. That if I just use the right words and the right formula, then he's going to give me what I want. God, I want a perfect spouse. And what is it? Let me see. It's C7. In Jesus' name, yes, I get what I want. Did you know that's not how that works? This is what it means. We, we pray in the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in alignment with the will of Jesus. And he gives us what we want. Remember, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, the desires of your heart. When I come into alignment with Christ, the desires of his heart become the desires of my heart. So when we ask anything in his name, we're asking in his authority and we can believe it's going to happen, but it has to be in alignment with his will. It has to be in alignment with his character. And we can do that because we're near him, we're close to him. See, if our happiness isn't God's top priority for us, then what is? What is God's top priority for us? Let me share a couple verses with you. Genesis 15, six, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him his righteousness. Exodus twenty two thirty one, 31, be my holy people. Leviticus 1144, for I am the Lord your God, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy as I am holy. Numbers 1540, this way you will remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. Psalm 654, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Proverbs 1228, there is life in the path of the righteous and in its path there is no death. Ezekiel thirty six twenty three. I will honor the holiness of my great name. The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the de- declaration of the Lord God. When I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Matthew five six from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." He goes on to say in Matthew six thirty three, same sermon. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God's righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Romans five seventeen. Since by the one man's trespass, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus? Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Second 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Hebrews 12.14, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. First 1 Peter 1.15 and 16 says, but as one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Revelation 22 11 says, let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Here is the theme. God desires for us to be righteous. We take on the righteousness of Jesus. You and I are not righteous, but we receive the righteousness of Jesus. He wants us to be holy. You and I are not holy. We we. We become holy as we pursue God. As we pursue God, we are pursuing holiness. You can go back to our series in January, Holier Than Thou, and we talk in depth about the holiness of God. God wants us to be holy. In fact, God is more interested in our holiness than he is our happiness. We see this all throughout scripture. God wants you to be holy, he wants you to be like him. When I think of holiness, I think of rules. That's the way I was raised. Things you can't do. And when we think about holiness, it's easy to think that holiness precludes us from happiness. And that's just not the case at all. Um, Because one lie is God just wants you to be happy. The flip side of that lie is God doesn't want you happy at all. He doesn't care about your happiness. And I want you to hear, God does care about your happiness. But he wants your ultimate happiness to be found in him. Not chasing happiness through things that bring decreasing levels of pleasure through an increasing craving. Jared C. Wilson is an author, pastor. He said this, he said, "'The devil would be perfectly satisfied "'if we were perfectly satisfied "'apart from the holiness of God. "'He will do whatever it takes to get us interested "'ultimately in our own happiness. "'He doesn't care how we feel so long as we're unrighteous. The devil would love for you to be perfectly happy so long as you are not holy. He knows happily unholy people rob glory from God and go happily to hell. This is hard stuff. God's not opposed to your happiness. He wants you to be happy in the right context. He wants you to experience pleasure in the right context. But ultimately, he wants you to find your happiness In him, your joy in him. See, the problem is we chase happiness. We chase a feeling. This is gonna lead us to death. But if we'll pursue joy, we're gonna find happiness. Remember what I said. Joy can produce happiness, but happiness cannot produce joy. And so my invitation for you today is really simple. Would you stop pursuing happiness? Would you stop just trying to fill this infinite void in your life with things that can never, ever fill it? Would you raise your eyes from the plane of the natural to the plane of the supernatural? Would you let God begin to move in your life so he can align you with his spirit? Because that's where we'll find true joy. And what we really are after is joy, joy that can weather the storm of unhappiness in our lives. And I don't wanna take for granted the fact that there are people here that are, are hurt today, that are unhappy, that are maybe dealing with deep sorrow. I acknowledge that and I want you to know our God can bring healing and wholeness to your life. He wants to. It does not mean we will never be unhappy. It does not mean we'll never have a bad day. It just means in spite of our unhappiness, my state of being is gonna be joy. I'm gonna navigate my unhappiness differently than I would've. That's my invitation for you guys today. Hey, I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville and he's gonna close out our time together. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So I know today is a, a challenging message. I got into your business a little bit, but I hope you hear my heart. I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing people on this uh, this endless hamster wheel of happiness, just trying to find happiness, just running to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it ultimately leaves us exhausted and worn out. And maybe you're here today and you feel that in your soul. I want you to know there is joy in the presence of God. There is peace in the presence of God. There's wholeness in the presence of God. You can experience what Jesus calls the fullness of joy in his presence. So I wanna invite you into that. Let's pray together. God, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for the times that I have, I've tried to find joy through things that are temporary, whether it's achievement, whether it's relationships or friendships or stuff, God, I'm sorry that I've thought that I could, that I could buy my way or achieve my way or eat my way or feel my way to happiness and true joy. God, I I repent of that today, I'm sorry. God, help me to see, and I pray that you would help us see that you are the source of true joy, that there is no happiness, true happiness outside of you. Lord, I pray that you'd help me order my affections well. Help me put in the right order the things you want me to love and how you want me to love them. God, I pray that we would see the pleasures, the happiness in our lives in the right context, that they are gifts from you to be enjoyed in the right context, in the right time, in the right season. And I pray as we do, God, those those experiences, those pleasures, those happy moments won't pull us away ultimately from you. God, bring us into alignment with your heart. Help us to see you and know you. And I pray that that's what would produce joy in us. The God of the universe wants to know me, wants to know us. I'm sorry that that statement has lost its awe in my life at times. Remind me how incredible it is. Remind us. And nobody's looking around. If you're here and you'd say, Mel, Man, some of the stuff you described today, that's me. Um, I chase happiness, I chase feeling. But the truth is, it leaves me more empty than it did before. And I need the joy that that God brings. I need the joy that that can't be found through this stuff in this world. I want to experience the joy of being a son or daughter of God, being adopted into the family. God. I want that today. I want to surrender to God. Maybe that's for the first time. Maybe it's for the hundredth time. Maybe you're rededicating your life going, yep, yep, some things need to shift in my life. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. If that's you, would, would, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, wow, Yep. Yeah, thanks. Lots of hands over here on my right in the balcony. Thank you. Yeah, thank you on my left. Two, three hands, thank you. Yeah, thank you, I see you. God Heavenly Father I pray that right now you'd speak into us God consecrate us set us apart for a set apart purpose I pray that we as your people would be holy and we'd pursue you and as we pursue you we're going to find holiness and God that holiness is important because God we're going to be able to carry your glory wherever we go God, you want people to see how good you are. So God, I pray that you would make us vessels of your glory. That the world would see your goodness and your grace and your beauty and your kindness resident in us. And I pray that we would not be satisfied with a life filled with happiness and empty of joy. So God, mark us, change us. Now, I'd like every person in this place to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. Say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving me and thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, yeah, give God a round of applause. (laughs) You're a new creation. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, the old is gone and the new has come and we wanna help you. This is the beginning of joy in your life. And so we want to help you uh, find that joy in Christ Jesus. So if you prayed that prayer, with you you raised your hand or not, if you would take a minute and you can either fill out the card and then see back in front of you and then take it to our info center when we finish here in just a moment, or you can simply text PA to the number 94000 and let us know about your decision by selecting the prompt that says salvation. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and we're going to help you take the next step. Over at the Info Center, if you stop by there, they're gonna give you a Bible. They're gonna point you in the right, right direction. And then the next couple of days, one of our pastors are gonna reach out to you and they're gonna help you begin to grow in your faith and get nudged into alignment with God because that's ultimately what we're after. Pastor Todd's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna sing this last song together. And while we do, our prayer team's gonna be here at the front of this room. And if you're here today, maybe you're one of those people who said, man, I feel empty. I feel a little hopeless. I feel lost feel exhausted from chasing happiness, let our team pray with you today. Maybe you're here and you just need physical healing in your body, let our team pray for you. Last night we had a a praise report of somebody who came forward who was dealing um, dealing with some very specific pain and we prayed for him and he walked out of here totally whole, no pain at all, feeling better. And so we believe God can heal you right now today. So let our team pray with you. Stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys tell you often, but I hope you know, I mean it. I love you more than you know. And I am so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week.